0: Welcome to our podcast, everybody. I'm so happy today to have Gustavo Razzetti with us. I have been following his work. We were just talking about it. We've spoken on LinkedIn so many times, but today's the first time we're actually in the live session together. So I'm really excited, Gustavo, that you could join us. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: My pleasure, Marianne. Very excited to be here and see where this conversation is going to take us. And great to be with your audience sharing our
0: insights. Thank you so much. So I was thinking how we knew each other differently from LinkedIn. And why did I ask you to be here was the other thing I was thinking. So if I tell them a little bit about you, you run Fearless Culture. You've written a few books, the latest being Remote Not Distant. Um, but one of my absolute favorite things is your culture work, your culture design canvases and how practical you make it for people to design their cultures. One of the things you say is successful workplace cultures happen by design, not by chance. And I just absolutely love that. So I think a lot of people struggle with organization culture change and even more so now that they are going into this remote blended hybrid world, Gustavo. So for me, the breakthrough is your thinking around that. And I think everybody should follow you on LinkedIn and look at all the fantastic tools you have out there. But really what I first wanna just ask, tell us a little bit more about how you got to this point in terms of your career and your life. What made you get to fearless culture, working on culture? What happened to get you to this point, Gustavo?
1: Yeah, I think that it, one of my biggest drives in life is boredom, right? <laughs> I hear I, you. Yeah, I tend to get bored pretty quickly in many aspects, so I'm always looking for what's next. And throughout my career, I started working marketing, advertising for many years as a strategist. Then by chance, not design, I ended being CEO. I never thought that I could run businesses, and I had run five businesses in different cities across the globe. And at some point, I got bored again, so I got more into design thinking innovation. And after basically getting stuck with many companies, I felt that companies have more ideas and talent than they think they have. They're always looking for consultants or whoever to bring them, but the problem is not that. The real problem is that the company culture is not conducive for those ideas or for the people to actually thrive. So I say, well, maybe I need to take all the things that I learned advising clients in different aspects, the design thinking framework, but adapted to culture because I saw there was a huge opportunity there but I did mostly out of passion, not just for my business, oh, there's a business opportunity, but basically I say, well, what if, and also kind of reinvented myself into this space.
0: You know, I love that because I've just written a book on leadership in the future of work, and one of the things that all those leaders had was this unbelievable curiosity and boredom where they just were always (laughs) looking for how to solve something that nobody else is even willing to spend that much time on, but to think about it differently and willing to innovate. And I really feel that you're one of those people. Now, what I'd really like to do is think about the breakthroughs in your thinking. So talk to us about the culture work, the culture canvas work that you've done um, and how people can use that to change their cultures or to design their cultures.
1: Yeah, I think that the the principles of anything that has to do with designing, designing any aspect, but specifically when it comes to culture, starts with trying to turn things that feel complex into more simple, but most importantly, trying to turn things that are abstract or fluffy sometimes into more concrete, more specific. So in the end, it's all about facilitating conversations. It, as I always tell my clients, there's a trying to simplify the process. There's a moment in which we want to map the culture as is, how people Mm -hmm. experience the culture, not the culture that the leaders declare and sell to their employees, but actually how people experience, which happens to be, depending on your role, your department, your hierarchy level, different. Then we move into assessing what's working, what's not working, and then into the design, which is, okay, improvement. People usually try to jump into the design because it's the most exciting thing, changing things. But how can you change something before you even understand it? So mapping is crucial. And what we do and what people can use the culture design canvas is to facilitate conversations within different pockets or groups of the organization to see all those gaps and commonalities. And the biggest challenge is finding the balance between the subcultures, and what's the overarching culture. Because in the end, the culture of a company is the sum of all subcultures, right? Mm. And lastly, before I pass it back to you, I want to make Mm. a clarification. When I'm talking about subcultures is people connect to smaller groups more deeply. So the people I work with more frequently, I feel a stronger connection. So we cannot get rid of that. We shouldn't get rid of that. However, subcultures don't mean silos. Silos yeah. is when a subculture intentionally detached from others, don't want to communicate and basically build some kind of walls. Subcultures actually feed off each other and feed off from the larger uh, culture.
0: So, Stavre, talk to me about, I've got the culture in front of me in my head, talk to me about the different aspects that are in there because I think what you're saying is I, I, that, that heart with the purpose in the middle is so important. There can't be a subculture that's detached from that purpose, right? So you've got different things in that map. What, what is in there and why is it in there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, that's a good thing. We have 10 elements, and I try to keep it shorter, but then I struggle back and forth. But in the end, when I say, people, it's not just a collection of 10 blocks. We call them building blocks because mm-hmm. they all build the culture together and you need to work on one and the other, and they're all uh, uh, correlated and, and shape each other. So it's a system. Mm-hmm. Even though mm-hmm. each box or block it's uh, uh, one thing on its own, they're all connected. The canvas is divided into three main sections. So at the center is what we call the core of culture. That's where we want to drive alignment. That's the long-term vision of your culture. So it encompasses the purpose, the values, the behaviors that we reward and punish, And lastly, the culture priorities. Then on the other two sides, we have elements that should be shared across subcultures, but also there might be people or groups that have different practices. So on on the right side, we have the emotional side of culture. That's Mm -hmm. the glue that brings people together, how we create a sense of belonging, and it encompasses psychological safety, feedback, and team rituals. Lastly, on the other side of the canvas, we have the more functional side of culture. How do we make decisions? How do we meet and convene, basically, uh, uh, both asynchronously and synchronously? And lastly, what are the norms and rules that guide the company or the team culture?
0: So how do people use it? Once they've designed it, how do people use it and embed it in the organization through people practices, through leadership practices, how do they keep it alive? How do they make it happen, Gustavo?
1: I think you, the word you mentioned is perfect, which is alive. So what I tell people, this is not a one-off document. It's a living document. There's no a before and after, but it's a document that you're always adding things and mm-hmm. get, getting rid, for example, rituals. You might create a new team ritual to integrate people who have been maybe working Uh, for over two years remotely. And when they get together for the first time, people feel like, oh, who are you? There's a lot of emotions going on. Well, you might create a ritual to bring those people together. Mm. But also, let's say that you were a company that had a defeatist mindset. So nothing was good enough. People didn't celebrate any wins and you create a ritual to change that. Mm. Well, over time, hopefully you're able to change the mindset. So at some point, that ritual would no longer be relevant. So we would remove it. That's just an example of how we keep adding and uh, removing Mm -hmm. elements for the
0: culture. It also seems like a really good tool for me to onboard new team members. So let's say I join an executive team and the executive team has this culture canvas, right? And I'm onboarding my new team members or people into the organization. I think it's such a great way, isn't it? To, To talk them through all these elements of how things are done here.
1: Absolutely. It's great for onboarding new employees and also it's great for onboarding senior executives, mm. especially CEOs. Because uh, I've been mean, there, than that. You get there, you start changing things without really understanding what's going on until you realize when it's too late. Yeah,
0: that's so that's,
1: that's very important. Another way to use it, which we've been doing that a lot with our clients, is in the midst of a merger, an acquisition oh, or after yeah. the fact, Because in the end, it's mapping the two cultures and try to find what we call cultural compatibility. Uh, And one thing that's interesting, we've worked with several companies that identified a prospect and we did the culture compatibility analysis before to determine should we, because maybe the business integrate, but then if the practices don't, no, the merger is not going to work. So that's another very interesting uh, use as well.
0: Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I've got quite a few clients now that have gone on an acquisition trail. Some mm-hmm. cl- I've got a lot of clients that are struggling and actually letting people go, but then I've got the opposite where I've got all these startups that are doubling and tripling in size and mm-hmm. just buying companies. And they just it's becoming a real cultural mess, I would say, to a large yeah. extent. Um Tell me about the psychological safety one, because everybody talks about the importance of psychological safety. Why did you put that in there and how do people use that? Because there's the team behaviors, right? And the values, and then there's that psychological safety block.
1: Yeah, definitely. We know that research shows that psychological safety, it's a key element for high-performing teams. That's one of the things that Google discovered in one of their projects. Uh, call Aristotle. They spent over two years until they realized that there are many things that you can do with a team, but the most important thing that you can provide is that. The thing of psychological safety is the feeling that a team is safe for taking interpersonal risks. Basically, I can bring my full self to work. I can take challenges. I can ask questions, uh, think differently. And it's not only gonna be okay, but actually encourage that I think differently. Mm-hmm. Um, In our model, we have three levels of what we call psychological safety, because in the end, psychological safety, some people get stuck into, I need psychological safety. Psychological safety is not a goal per se, but a means to an end. So the point is not to make people feel safe. The point is, how can we help people do what? So in our model, we have the first level of psychological safety is making people feel welcome in a team. So as a human being, you're going to be accepted regardless of who you are, how you think, the things that you bring to the table. The second level, it's about courageous conversations. So we want to feel safe not to protect people, but we want to feel safe so we can engage in debate, we can think differently, we can challenge each other, ask uncomfortable questions, so that elevates the quality of the thinking and we avoid a groupthink. And lastly, it's about innovation. In the end, where companies are looking And I'm not talking innovation like building a new product or Mm -hmm. service can be innovation like how can we improve processes? How can we improve our pricing strategy or mechanic, whatever it is that come within creativity? So those three levels are critical. That's why we put the block in there.
0: I love that block. It's for me so important. I was so happy when I saw it. Now in the remote culture canvas, that's one of my favorites. I feel Gustavo that people are not getting hybrid working right. There is just so much stress about going back to the office, people complaining, we're just not getting it right. I really love what you've put there in the center of working together, together, you know, a team really sitting down and working out how they're going to get work done, right? Um, what are they gonna do asynchronously, synchronously? Can you talk more about that and, and how are you seeing that work?
1: Yeah, the first thing of all, it's like a traditionally companies used to operate in what I call real-time collaboration. So they assume that collaborating is everyone being at the same time and hopefully in the same room, virtual, physical, whatever. Uh, however, the companies have been working in a remote or hybrid uh, setting for many years they are more default towards async. Mm. It, one of the things that's critical for me is that the remote first companies, now they say everything should be as, async. So they move maybe too much into another mm. direction. For me, it's not one or the other, especially if you're transitioning, people get stuck because it's hard. It's, it's harder to implement than it's uh, uh, talking about it. So the point is, I include in the book, uh, what are the best situations in which a sync works best and what are the situations or uh, goals for which synchronous works best. So if you're having like a crisis as a company, you better resolve it in real time, you're not going to send an email and say, hey, you have 48 hours to come back to me. Uh, Maybe if you need to bring people together, as I mentioned, like creating a sense of belonging, emotional connection, doing it in person, it's easier. However, there are aspects, most of them, even giving feedback or making decisions that are best made asynchronous. For example, you can have a decision-making document in which people write, for example, this is the problem, this is the context, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, and Z. And let people chime in, provide their questions, the comment at their own pace and time. It provides more reflection, there's no need to jump into a conclusion, and it's a better way to making decisions.
0: So the book you're talking about, Everybody is Remote, Not Distant, fantastic book. Tell us more about what's in the book. So other than really learning what to do, when, what else can can leaders or, or organization, culture designers get from the book?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. For starters, the book is not about hybrid or remote work. It's about building culture in a hybrid and remote environment. So mm-hmm. it, it, there are a lot of things about communication, technicalities, et cetera. But the main core is culture. There are other books that focus solely on technology. I tap into that a little bit. But for me, the most important thing is how leaders need to design, intentionally design culture in a new environment. So if you're either lost and you want to find your true north, or if you're doing good but you want to accelerate that path, the book provides a five-step kind of a, a roadmap. And depending where you are, you can either go through the five steps or maybe take just one and zoom in. And for each of the steps, you're going to get insights, best practices, examples from other companies, not to copy, but to inspire. Mm. And of course, tools from canvases to more tiny interventions that you can apply into your everyday work.
0: I love what you do because you take, like you say, complex things, make them simple, and then just provide sets of tools that leaders can use that are so practical. Tell me, Gustavo, what else are we worried about in business today? We've got culture, we've got the hybrid issues. What else are you thinking about going, gosh, we really have to fix that. I'm going to work on that next. And I see you writing about some new topics. But tell me what's going on in your head at the moment as you look at 2023 and look at business
1: definitely i think that uh, the one of the challenges for me is that we're obsessed about productivity we're still bringing that a uh, 19th century mindset not even 20th century mindset which is how can we extract the most time out of people rather than extracting the most value out of people and especially in a moment that we are uh, everyone's talking about uh, artificial intelligence and it's becoming a turning point, it feels exactly what happened a few decades ago when the internet bubble kind of exploded. So many people are reacting to what's happening versus trying to rethink how we, for example, bring that collaboration. So people are talking about AI is going to replace humans rather than it creates a new layer of collaboration. So I collaborate with myself. I collaborate with a colleague. I collaborate within a team, but also I'm going to collaborate with technology. And that, for me, is very important, but if we don't break the productivity-driven conversation and we focus more into quality of work, then we're going to miss the one and the other versus humans versus technology or so technology. So what,
0: what must leaders do differently? How must they behave differently to what they're doing right now?
1: If one of the key things is that we are living, and this sounds cliche, and I mean it is, but it's a fact, it, the world keeps changing. I mean, and people have been saying that the world is changing fast since the 18th mm. century or even before that. So that's a fact that things move fast. However, the reality is so complex that leaders know very little about what's happening. So, and that's a huge change because leaders want to be positioned in this place of certainty, being the one who people look for answers. So great leaders, I say, lead with questions. They don't try to provide the solution, but they're very good at sparking the right conversations in order to tap into collective wisdom from their own team members.
0: And Gustavo, one final question before we start to wrap it up. I'm very worried about boards um, not taking enough notice of culture and of these issues. And I feel like boards just don't know what's going on, but maybe it's just me. Gustavo, anything that you're seeing that boards need to do differently or... Have you been talking to boards as well about culture?
1: Definitely. Uh, To be honest, we're not doing as much work with boards as we should. Uh, uh, And I think that's because very few boards get involved in culture as much as they should. Uh, I'd say that the board and their extension of the board, the CEO, should be a guardian of culture, not the owner, because culture is owned by everyone, but the guardian. So when it comes to bringing new CEOs, they need to make sure that there's a compatibility between the leader and the culture that has helped the company being successful. Even if there's a turnaround, you cannot turn around a company by changing its culture completely. You need to build but from what's working and then add new layers. So I think that boards should be more intentional about understanding the culture of the company, not just the business and the results and also making sure that the people that they bring to lead the everyday business have the right understanding of the culture and how to protect the culture. Because a lot of times we've seen cultures went wrong, uh, toxic cultures where was a people abuse or system abuse, mm-hmm. or a lot of stealing and unethical behavior that for many felt, oh wow, Theranos, my God. And it wasn't a surprise, everyone knew. I mean, I always say that the board of the from Theranos no one ever asked yeah. the founder and CEO to say, hey, give wow. me a proof of mm-hmm. a, a, an evidence that the product actually works. So everyone mm-hmm. was talking about a product, but never anyone. it was simple. Well, show me how it works. And no one ever a, a, a basically saw that or asked for that. So that's on the board, not just on the founder and CEO.
0: I tell you, I, I am a board member and I've been on not-for-profit boards, but at the moment with the level of challenges we have, um, I'm almost uncomfortable to go into a board because the liability is really high. And if you don't get that information on culture and risk, um, and if your board doesn't make sense of all these things you're talking about, it really is quite scary, actually, because the liability is really high. You, I don't think you can say, well, I didn't know that that hurts the environment or I didn't know that, you know, that was happening. I, I think we're getting to that point. Look, I want. How can people get hold of you and read more about what you do? What, what are kind of? Where can they go, Gustavo, if they want to see what you do, listen to you, read what you've written?
1: Yeah, um, first to your point earlier, they can go to LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm very active, so I'm the only Gustavo Rasselli with double C, double T. So that's easy to find me. Uh, And then they can go to our website, uh, fearlessculture.design. It's not .com, but fearlessculture.design. And there, they they can either subscribe to our blog, they can check. We have lots of free downloads and free tools. And if they want to contact, we also have a, a contact form so they can reach out to me as well.
0: That's fantastic. And please also, the book, the book, the book, the book, remote, not distant. I think that's a fantastic book to read. I can honestly say hand on heart that I use your website. I follow your LinkedIn post and learn so much from it. Gustavo, we also like to ask a bit of a fun question. So this might be coming from this side, because we like people to know a little bit something about (laughs) you. If you were stranded on an island... What's the one thing you couldn't do without? And it cannot be your partner, because I tried to take my husband, but they wouldn't let me. So what is the one thing you cannot do without? If you're alone on an island forever, what's the one thing you would want to have with you?
1: My road bike.
0: (laughs) That's the first time I get that answer. That'll keep you yeah. busy, won't it? And then you can you or can my go. cooking knife. <laughs> yeah, I think. so well, I have had a few chefs as well, Gustavo, and they yeah. even want to take some of their core ingredients so that when they make fish or something, yeah. <laughs> for... You're right, Bike. That's fantastic. That's a wonderful answer. I'm sure all the people who cycle will love that, Gustavo. I've taken so much out of this again. Um, I understand the canvas even better now. Um, I'm so glad that there are people like you who are making complex things simple. I don't want people to be terrified about the future of work and about things like culture change. I think when you're intentional and you look at things that have worked, you can really make it happen. Um, And it's just about learning, isn't it? And about being curious and about trying these things out. You're not gonna get it perfect first time, but you try it out with your team and you see how you go. Gustavo, what's your final thoughts before we say goodbye? What would you like to say to leaders about culture, about how we are working? Any final thoughts?
1: Absolutely. I think that the most important element about culture is avoid approaching it with a perfectionist mindset. So there's no such thing as a perfect culture. There are perfect cultures in books, but not in reality. And I think that Perfectionism, either when you think your culture is perfect and you avoid seeing the issues or the other side of perfectionism, when people only focus on what's broken and they never seem to appreciate what they have that's working, neither approaches work. So culture is a living, breathing animal. You have to tame it. You have to work on it every time. And you're going to see improvements one day. You're going to see regression another. And that's okay. Okay. Take it with a grain of salt and keep working on your culture. Be authentic and make sure that what you say and your work and and your actions match each other.
0: Oh, that is a fantastic way to close it. Thank you so much for the generous time that you've given us today. Um, It was wonderful having you as a guest.
1: Thank you, Marianne, for hosting me and thank you everyone for joining. It has been a pleasure to be you.